0: And good morning, Calvary. And Merry Christmas officially. We are starting a brand new series called Advent, which is not really a creative title. It's about Advent, which literally translates to mean the coming. The Advent is the idea of the coming of Jesus, the coming of our hope. And we're going to be starting today by going through the book of Luke. And if you have picked one of these up, I encourage you to get one out. If you haven't, they're out there. And basically, what it is is the scriptures on one side and there's a place to take notes on the other side. But we're going to be in this from now through Easter. So, why are we getting this for you? Because we want you to tatter these pages. We want you to write in them. We want you to, to highlight in them. We want you to, to, to work over them. And And right from the start, let me just give you this idea. There's a a couple of mentalities in here. One is the person who's like, okay, I'll take notes. but tell me exactly how to do it because I want to make sure I do it right. Some of you are laughing. And and, and I would say, I want to just ease your your mind because the purpose of taking notes is not about getting everything right, okay? And some of you are like, he can't make me. And I would encourage you to realize I can't. So why do we want you to take notes? We want you to take notes for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is proven that when you write things down, you remember it longer. And statistics say 97% of what I say today you will not be remembering by next Sunday. That's kind of scary as a pastor. But when you take a note, you're more apt to remember it. I also want you to understand that we would like to encourage you to take notes because in your dwelling, whoever lives in your house, whether that's a roommate, whether it's you, by yourself, or whether other people, we want you to discuss it. So you want me to discuss it myself if necessary, right? But we want you to, to be able to go, hey, what did you write down? Because we want to enhance your family discipleship model as we go forward. And so as you take notes, you can begin to understand what this looks like. And you can have discussions over the dinner table and over lunch, and you can sit there and go, what are you reading? Because this is not just a book that we want you to bring on Sundays. We want you to read through the book of Luke from now until Easter. Read over and over and over again, capturing the stories, because it points to the hope we have in Christ. Now, one other caution about the book, and then we're going to get into it, okay? I'm going to talk about ways to take notes as if you don't know how to take notes. Some of you will be insulted by that if I didn't give this little qualification, because you know how to take notes, and I, I get that, but we also have kids in the room who may not have ever had the idea or expression of taking notes, so if you already know how to take notes, feel free to ignore the suggestions, okay? But as we go forward, what we're trying to do is to see our hope as recorded in Luke's gospel that we're getting to today. Now, why is this important? Well, when Luke penned this gospel story, the story of Jesus, the idea of Emmanuel, God has come, Jesus has come, he's telling the people the story of what has happened. It's been 400 years without hearing from the voice of the Lord. 400 years is a long time, like 1622 if the math's correct, right? If we were to do a parallel. 400 years without the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, did they have the Old Testament Scriptures? Yes. But 400 years is a long time to be silent. From Malachi until we start with the writing of the Gospel story, we were unpacking the new story, and so they waited in the darkness. They longed for the coming Messiah. They longed for the coming story. They longed for the fruition of what had been promised generation after generation after generation. And Luke is about to say the time is coming. Now maybe you today are in that place where you're sitting there going, God, when are you going to move? And it's been like three months. You're like, God, when are you going to move? It hasn't been 400 years. Yeah, this season of winter feels like it's gonna last forever. It is so when we unpack this and when we study this, I want us to glean from what Luke is saying. I want us to understand what he's saying for the purpose of realizing that Christ has come and the hope that affords us. So if you have your Bibles, as in this, turn with me to page four. We're gonna be beginning in Luke chapter one, verses one through four. One thing I always encourage people to do is when you write on a passage or speak on a passage, maybe you're studying it, I like to write the date out beside it because I would love for this someday to be a pass down to your kids or your grandkids so they can see the notes that you wrote that. Say, I don't have kids. Then your neighbor, okay? You can give it to that kid that you're mentoring in the youth group, whatever. But pass it down someday so they can see your notes. Think about writing it down with that even in mind. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the Word handed them down to us. So it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable theophilies, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. First of all, it's addressed to a man by the name of Theophilus. Do you understand that sometimes churches argue over silly things? Who Theophilus was is one of those silly things. Because some people argue that Theophilus was a person, a Roman citizen, and some people argue Theophilus was not a specific person, but was supposed to represent all of us. Here's the point. Luke wrote this book, to be read by more than just Theophilus. But let me explain to you why they feel that way. So maybe, if you're new to taking notes, you want to underline the word Theophilus and out on the side, break it down into Theo and philos. which is hard to say, okay? Because anytime you find the word Theo, T-H-E-O, in the Bible, like theology, study of God, Theo means God. Philos, hard to say, is the idea of Philo- like Philadelphia, or the one who loves God. Theophilus literally translates to the one who loves God. And now you have that in your notes. So the way this could mean for all of us is anybody who loves God. So is he writing to people who don't yet know God? Probably not. He's writing to people who have started the exploration. They've started the journey to understand about God. So why does he write them? Why is this important? Well, he says, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Because we all have those moments where we need to look back and and look at our notes. We all have those moments where we need to look back and and see and remind ourselves of those Ebenezer-type moments, those markers of our faith, those moments that prove God is who He says He is, and therefore He will be who we believe He will be. And so he's writing them about... The things they've instructed. And he's writing to them about events that have already been fulfilled. I've underlined that because it's the reminder. We're about in Luke's chapter 2 and 3 going to cover the Christmas story, right? End of chapter 1 into chapter 2 is the Christmas story. Luke knows that we already know it. He's writing to remind them of what happened, the repetition. The reminder becomes important. So we know, just like Luke knows, to the audience written, we know the story of Christmas. Emmanuel, God is with us. There has been a long time of silence. Jesus has now come. His presence is now available to us through the Holy Spirit. His presence is our greatest present. And what he's doing is he's creating an orderly account, a sequence of events, so that we might know that we can have hope in Christ. Now, this is important to ascertain, important to understand. The Bible contains four gospel stories. Gospel literally translates good news. If you didn't know that, you may want to write that out in the margins. Gospel equals good news. And as you're doing that, I want you to understand, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why do we have all four? John is a story for people who love love. John contains the word love a whole bunch. So have you ever noticed a person who's like very emotive or very emotionally driven? If you know a person who is very emotionally driven, introduce them to the story of John as the introduction story for connecting them with the gospel, okay? Mark is written to people who did not grow up in the church. That's why Mark is the shortest book in the Bible that is a gospel. Okay? So Mark doesn't assume that you know the basics, and so the vocabulary of Mark isn't full of a bunch of Christian words that people who haven't been to church haven't understood. So if you run into somebody on the street and they have no clue who Jesus is, if you're running into an international student who struggles with the vocabulary of Christian words... The best book for them probably to be introduced to the gospel in is? Okay, we could be a little more reactive than that. The best book for them to read is? Okay, what about people who grew up in the faith and are like, I want to know how this matches with the Old Testament. Matthew was written to people who were in the church. That's why Matthew starts with Matthew chapter 1, which why wouldn't it start with chapter 1? Except that Matthew chapter 1 includes all the begets. So-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, begets, so-and-so. And by I mean begets, the birth order of Christ. That was significant because they knew and were expecting the incoming Christ, the incoming Messiah, was going to come from the line of David. And so they proved that, all while Matthew included the great testimonies of people like Rahab, the prostitute, who is in the line of Jesus. Do you see the folding in of our messy stories into the, our redemption story? OK? Now Matthew, once again, was written to people who kind of had a church upbringing, but wanted verification. Mark was written to people who didn't really know much about Christ, the unchurched. John was written for emotive-type people. What's Luke's point? I have carefully investigated everything. So, that you might have an orderly sequence. You see, Luke was a doctor. Yes, I don't think he went to med school because they didn't have that back then. But a doctor was a person who would have been very detail oriented. Luke is full of details. Luke contains the most details and the most sequence oriented of the four gospels. They're all accurate, they're all trustworthy. But Luke goes through the details. Why does he give us the details? So we can have the verification of the hope we have in Jesus. Now, that was a lot, right? A whole lot to cover in four verses. And and that would be great. And and that alone is good enough. Jesus has come. Jesus has come and, and lived a life that we can have connection with him. But the reality is, we still need to have the hope. So Luke details the whole entire narrative of the story of Christ from the beginning through the resurrection. In fact, Luke writes Acts, spoiler, as he writes Acts, he details the start of the church. Why? So that we can have an orderly sequence because he wanted us to have the details of how it all happened so we can look back For the verification, the same reason we want you to take notes is why Luke wrote the book. Because sometimes you need to see it written down. Do you get it? Isn't that cool? Now, as you're thinking about that, we come to the conclusion that as he's coming to this, he's trying to give us hope. So what is hope? Hope is to trust in, wait for, look for, or desire something or someone. Or to expect something beneficial in the future beneficial in the future. So Luke details how the hope of the Old Testament has been fulfilled in the story of Christmas and Easter and the life of Jesus. In other words, God himself dwelt amongst us. We were separated from God because of our sin. And even though we were separated from the presence of God, we can now have His presence, the greatest present that the world has ever known. I say this every Christmas and we'll say it numerous times. The greatest present that we can ever have is the presence of God in our life. And so if we accept Him, we can now have the presence of God dwell with us 365 days a year and 366 on leap year, let's not forget, every fourth year, okay? And as the presence of God comes in our life, We can still have hope for our future. Say, Daniel, I'm so confused. If if Luke wrote us how the Christmas story details how our hope has been fulfilled, why do we still have hope? Because this life is ultimately pointing to the next life. Because this life is going to have seasons of winter because there's still sin in the world. Because this life is still going to have struggles. That's why some of us came in today very heavy hearted. It's why some of us came in here uh, down and dejected because our Thanksgiving wasn't as thankful as we had hoped. Right? It's why some of us came in here and we're like, man, just give me something. I, I need something to cling to. What you need to cling to is the hope the light of the world has come. But what does that look like in the here and the now? And so we get caught up and we get, we get captured by the, the misery and the struggle. And so we as Christians know that hope has come, but yet we walk around the planet like, oh, God is so good. Hope has a name, Jesus. What does it look like for us to walk in the hope of Christ? You see, one day we will no longer need hope, because hope will be fulfilled. But the fact is, we still need hope, because this next life has not yet happened, and there's sin in this world. So, how do we live for hope? Well, it starts by saying, we believe Jesus is Emmanuel, God is with us, and that through his life, death, and resurrection, we find our ultimate hope. Let me say that again. We believe, this is like our creed, even though we don't necessarily have a creed, okay? We believe Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, that through his life, death, and resurrection, we find our ultimate hope. This is why Luke pins this book to Theophilus, those who love God or the one who loves God. So as he does it, you begin to see this unfold. And if you begin to read Luke, as not just a random bunch of stories that tell of the life of a man named Jesus, but all these stories point to a bigger picture that God has fulfilled his promise and that he will fulfill his promise in the end. And so Luke is writing these down, not just as a historical, accurate record, but to give us something to lean into when the winter seasons of our spiritual soul long for light, right? So let's look how he does this. Well, he starts by saying, we have hope because we know he was born in the form of a human. Luke chapter 2, Christmas story. This is what we're covering the next few weeks, right? And he does it by telling several stories, and I've added one for Matthew in here too because I'm a rebel. Okay, here's what, we have hope because of his divine encounters around his birth. So Luke tells us the story of an angel that meets Mary. Miraculous story, great story about a divine being encountering a woman, and that in and of itself would be amazing, except that if it just happened to one person, we might sit there and think, hmm, I don't know if I believe that. But what about the fact that after Jesus is born, there are angels that greet the shepherds, and the shepherds show up to worship the baby of the woman who said that there were an angel that appeared to her, too. And how did the shepherds find the woman, except that The the angels told the shepherds where to find the baby. So you have these two people who don't know each other who come together and say, an angel told me to meet you, right? And they worship a god. Do you you see Luke saying, here's proof, here's verification, here's hope. And then you go on and say, Simeon and Anna testified that the Messiah has come. We're going to cover that story in a few weeks, so I'm not going to go into that too much. But they were told, they were pointed to, there was proof that this was the coming Christ. And the genealogy of Christ was fulfilled in the Old Testament promise. Luke didn't start with it, but he wanted to prove it to the people who grew up in the churches too. Luke 2, 23 through 28. And then to cap it all off, you have the story of the wise men coming from afar to worship Jesus. Matthew 2, 1 through 11. Most people believe that the the wise men came from as far as the far east. They may have come from as far east as what we now know as modern day China. On a long journey that a star guided them to the coming Christ. So you have all of these stories that in and of themselves are miraculous stories. But Luke is trying to marry them together to to show the details of the fact that there was a man named Jesus who was born. And this babe would come and make an impact on the world around us. Now, here's the neat thing. We as Christians go, that's amazing. But do you realize even the most adamant atheist will admit that Jesus was born? Even the most adamant atheist will admit there was a baby who lived his life and made a difference in this world. There is no denying the historical significance of that. So we have hope because of the divine encounters around his birth. We have second reason. We have hope because of the life he lived. Another great thing to take a note on. We have hope because of the life he lived. And this is found in Luke's chapters 4 through 21. In fact, if you want to geek out, you can even write this down. Luke chapters 4 through 9 are the earlier years of his ministry. And Luke's chapters 9 through 21 are on the journey that begins to go towards Jerusalem. You're going to see that progressed as we get towards Easter. And as you do that, you're going to see that the miracles that Jesus did pointed to his divinity. The wisdom from which he spoke pointed to his divinity. The way he carried himself, the fact that he didn't sin. The fact that he lived a perfect life pointed all of these. The accuracy, the the amount, the volume of the stories of the following around this man and the detail-oriented to which Luke describes it points to the fact that we have hope. Do you realize that hope is important? But do you realize that the stories that he tells of the blind man gaining sight ultimately wasn't about the blind man gaining sight? How do I know that? blind man's still dead. I don't mean that crass, I'm just saying. It wasn't about getting a, a blessing in that moment, it was about proving that Jesus who He was, says He was, and, and that did help show people. What about Lazarus, who was raised from the dead? That's a great story, except Lazarus died again. And so, in this idea of, oh, I want to see Jesus do a miracle, that's That's good, but Jesus did the miracles. Jesus spoke with wisdom. All of the details of the narrative that Luke describes that he writes down points to the fact that we can have hope in the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, here's the thing about it. Even the most adamant atheist will admit that Jesus lived an impactful life and had many followers. It is not disputed. So we need to have hope in the divine birth. We have hope because of the life he lived, and we have hope because we know he died on the cross. These stories are found in Luke chapters 22 and 23. And when Jesus went up that hill, he, he was crucified between two criminals. And in doing so, his body was torn open for us. He was buried in a tomb. And the fact that we open presents today is symbolic. The ripping of the paper is almost symbolic. In fact, I believe is symbolic of the fact that Jesus' body was torn open for us. And that is a gift. The getting to the presence required a tearing open of His flesh and the spilling of His blood. And here's the thing. Even the most adamant, atheist among us will admit there was a man named Jesus who was crucified between two criminals. So we have hope because there was a a baby that we know that was born. We have records of the divine encounters. We have hope because of the life lived and the details of the story which are astronomically in depth. We have hope Because we know, historically, it is proven that there was a man named Jesus who died on the cross. It is not refuted, it is not argued among 99% of the people on the planet. There's always the flat earthers. Sorry, the world is round. But, the only place of contention we have is can we have proof of the resurrection, and I would like to argue there is proof. We have hope because of the proof of the resurrection, Luke 24. I'm going to do something that we're going to try not to do much. I'm actually going to leave this book for a moment and go to Acts chapter 1, so you can write this down, but I want you to hear Acts chapter 1, which is written once again by Luke. I wrote the first narrative, being the book of Luke. Theophilus. Huh. That sounds familiar right? I happen to have in my notes that it says one who loves God. About all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after he suffered, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke pins the book of Acts, as directed by the power of God, to start and to detail the birth of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit moving among us. And he does that with great detail. But he starts with pointing back to the narrative of Luke and saying, did you see all the proofs? Oh, one who loves God, did you see all the way that I showed up that that you can trust and have hope? There is biblical proof through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But what about outside of that? And how would an atheist tackle this? Well, there was once a man who used to be an atheist, and I say used to, he has now written many books about the fact that he now believes in God. There's a man by the name of Lee Strobel in his book, Case for Christ. In doing so, he went on this journey to try to disprove Christianity, not because he didn't believe there was a man named Jesus who lived, for the reasons we've already talked about, not because he didn't believe that there was a man who was crucified, but because he believed that there's no way that Jesus could be resurrected from the dead. And as an investigative reporter, he set out to find the facts. And in his book, here's a brief summary of those facts. He first started off by saying, there is, is there a way that Jesus could have survived the crucifixion It was just fake playing dead in the tomb? After talking with Dr. Alexander Mithero, I don't know how to say his name, And after doing a lot of research, an atheist came to the conclusion that there is no way that Jesus could have survived the crucifixion through the Roman government records, through the Jewish records. There is no plausible way that he could have survived. So if he really died, is there plausible evidence to say that there was a resurrection that took place? And he came to the conclusion that Jesus was not only seen by hundreds of people, he ate with them, spoke to them, and touched them as well. Hundreds of verifiable proof. Hundreds of people who testified. Hundreds of stories of the count. Luke wrote this to be an account of one of those. This was a historical account. This is not just the Bible, although it is the Bible. It was a historical proof that said All these people encountered. And what he found is as he looked at all the different accounts, they all told the same story. Have you ever tried to tell a lie and you realize you can't tell the same lie? Much less hundreds of people telling the same lie? It will never amount to the same lie because it's a lie. The only way it lines up is when hundreds of people verify to the same account. And he was overwhelmed with the volume of evidence of people saying the exact same story in the exact same way in numerous places. So he then goes on and says, I needed to check outside of the Bible. I needed to check outside of the Bible to see if there was proof because, okay, this could just have been changed or written later on. But what he found as an investigative reporter is that when you look back in the day and time to see, okay, is there good evidence of what happened in the historical context of the day and the time of the Roman government in which Jesus lived? If they had Two good witnesses that were considered a verifiable fact. Two good witnesses of historical evidence. Historians would have said that is a remarkable evidence that this event took place. Strobel found five outside of the Bible that verified there was a man named Jesus who walked around, who encountered hundreds of people, who was testified that he was the risen God. And finally, struggle comes to the place to use a phrase that I love saying and will say probably till the day I die. Ain't nobody found nobody. And he, he said, this was the part that I struggle with the most because, you know, you can go anywhere in the world and, and name a famous person and they can lead you to the tomb. Almost exclusively, if they were born in the last thousand years, if they were famous, they can point to the place where there was a body or at least a testimony of how they were burned. No one with some of the significance of Jesus exists where they can't find the body or record of what's happened. So here was a man who set out to prove that Jesus didn't exist and came to the overwhelming evidence that he must have. And that his resurrection was authenticated by the fact that he is who he says he was. So Strobel came to Christ. And Luke details the story for the same conclusion. Now, here's the cool part. As Luke's writing this, he's saying, not only can we trust him, not only is he worthy of putting our hope in, we know that he is real, and therefore we can have hope because we can know him. And we can have hope because his first coming is just a precursor to him coming again. If you have your New Testaments, you can, or books, the books of Luke, i got to figure out how to say it. You can turn to Luke chapter 21. It is on page 142. Yes, I know you know how to math, but it's just easier that way. i want to read Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28. And I want to set this up by saying, This is less descriptive and more prescriptive. In other words, this is less to describe how he's coming back as much as to point out that he is coming back. Then there will be signs, Luke chapter 21, verse 25, in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And there will be anguish on the earth among the nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with the power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads, because your redemption is near. Now, every generation wants to read that as, oh, that's happening now. It's happened in every generation. And the reality is, we don't know when Christ is coming back. And I can point to you 1 Thessalonians, and I can point to you 2 Thessalonians, No one knows the season of time. In fact, if someone says to you, Jesus is returning at this time, that is the surest time that I know that he's not coming back. Okay? Let me just ease your mind of that. But the fact is, he could come at any moment. He is coming back. And when I I look at this passage, I, I see the tension of these two worlds, right? One is filled with fear and angst, but he's writing, Luke is writing the description of hope to the believer, saying, you and I have hope. In fact, in my Bible it says, do you see the two, the balance of the two? You, do you see the balance of the angst that's met with, oh, I don't have to figure this out? Do you see the balance of the, I, the insecurity met with the security to, to, to keep our head focused on where we are here and now? So the way this plays out in our life, there's some of us in this room who, who may live with life and you've, you've carried your life full of anxiety and, and God would say, why? It's because you're trying to figure it all out. Instead of trying to figure it out, have hope that Jesus came to make a way and we learn as we walk through the path of Luke, as we learn to lean into him more and more, I don't have to find the solution. I'm a person who has a plan, who has a backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan. And if I'm not careful, I put my hope in my plans. My plans never work out, people. Jesus does. And sometimes people think, if I could just control the situation, so we try to manipulate the cards in the deck to to have our hand dealt well, right? Stop trying to manipulate the cards in the deck and find our hope by singing to the God of this universe, praise and worry can never coincide. Sometimes we, we try to medicate our hope with addiction. We, we, we try to escape our hope by burying our head in the sand and, and finding our activities that are normal good, but we become idols because we want to escape the world. Instead of trying to escape the world, let that light shine that points us to the hope that this life is pointing to the next life. Church, let hope in. Because we know he lives. We can know with certainty he is coming back. And this is the Christmas story. You see, hope guides us by offering security of what is to come while we stay focused on our purpose here and now. While we stay focused on our purpose here and now, helping others see the light of the world. So how do we do that? We let our hope shine. I want to close with an illustration tonight. Every year around November 8th, I always post on Facebook, which I hardly ever post on Facebook, but I always post following words or something very similar to, hope still guides me. And some people might go, I get a lot of likes and people go, oh, isn't that neat? (laughs) But they don't understand the background of that story and why I post it. It's a shout out to a story of my students who experienced this experience with me when I was a campus minister at UK. I used to be a college minister. And some of you remember the details of the story. I'm not going to go into that at great depth today. Of the story of two of my students who died. They were in a fatal car accident on the side of the road. And I was there. Witnessed their deaths. It was horrific. One of those students, however. A guy by the name of Tom May. On his Facebook post. If you looked up his religious status. It didn't say follower of Jesus. It said hope Guides me. I remember doing his funeral. And I remember doing his funeral. How neat it was to think. Hope's not guiding him anymore. Hope is fulfilled. But he's right. Because hope is to guide us. And so I don't know what kind of darkness you entered into this world today. I don't know if you're in a season of harvest or in a season of winter. If you're struggling to feel like your prayers are going past the ceiling, but I know this, the God of this universe is not dark anymore. And let that light shine by allowing the spirit of hope to take place Christians, stop trying to figure it out all on your own and turn to the one who's figured it out. Stop trying to manufacture hope and turn to the one who is our hope. Stop trying to be in control of your life and release the control of your life to God of this universe. Let him move, let him breathe, and let this little flicker turn into a flame that is contagious for the world around us. We as a church have to stop going around acting like we're defeated. We are not defeated. Our hope has said our victory is secure. We are not overcome because the power of the cross suggests that Jesus has already come. Our hope is in the foundation of our faith, which is that Jesus says he is returning. So we look to him. Let hope in. So I want to pray a prayer blessing over you today. And the prayer, as I've gone really long, will (laughs) really be this simple. I pray that a match is lit in your soul that is never extinguished. So right now, I want you to think of what is this area of your life that you need to give hope in. And as we pause and pray, would you just say, God, maybe even open your hands. Help me to release this to you. So Father, in this moment and in this room, be our hope. Father, we do pray in the name of Jesus for healings. Miraculous healings to show us that you are still the healer. God, we pray for anxieties to dissipate. God, we pray for your provision for that bills to be met to the penny so that we know that it's you and not so that we can say, Oh, we did that. God, we pray for addictions to be disintegrated by the power of what you're doing. We pray for marriages to be healed, relationships to be mended. We pray for salvations and the hope of the world to spread. We pray for a revival in this country that will take a flame. And God, let it start here and now, and let it start with me. God, would you move? Would you be our hope? Would you be our source of strength? Would you be our source of all that we are? God, in every fiber of our being, may we trust in you. May you be our power. May you be our strength. May you be our everything, because you have come. We have hope. So, God, help those obstacles to fall. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.